It's been a wonderful morning, hasn't it? Have you worshiped this morning in praise? Have you worshiped this morning in prayer? Have you worshiped this morning in giving? Uh oh. Yeah? Okay. Have you worshiped the morning, the Lord this morning in His Word? We're getting ready to. And I want you to know if you read the fourth chapter of Acts, that's exactly how the first century church worshiped as well. Maybe not with the same songs and they were you know, disciples playing the bass and the guitar. Jordan, am I right? Am I right? Okay. That's exactly how the church should worship in praise, in prayer, in giving, and in his word. I want to welcome all of you here this morning and, and even welcome those who are watching online. We're just thankful that we are able to have everything, uh, the technology and, and the equipment, the tech team, and, and being able to put our services online, and, and that is a, truly a blessing and a ministry. I want to take just a minute to mention that our annual service of remembrance will be held on the 18th of November, Thursday evening, in the chapel. And this is an opportunity that we give to the church and, and uh, to anyone that uh, if you would like to honor the memory of a loved one that has passed over the last several months, we want to just have a time of, of worship and, and just giving the Lord glory for the lives that he has brought to touch and to uh, be a part of our life. And that will take place again the 18th of November. So if you have someone in mind, I just ask you to please uh, send that to uh, the name to my assistant, uh, Rachel. And as we gather those names, uh, we will uh, share those that evening. So it's, it's really a wonderful time of worship. Today we're wrapping up our current series, Here's Your Sign. Pastor Bob has preached a wonderful series, and it's my prayer that as I wrap this up today that the Holy Spirit will communicate His Word and that uh, we will just uh, continue to, to be ready when Christ returns. A little over a week ago, I received a, a word from the Lord in preparation of my message. And it seems that an 80-year-old woman and a funeral director came before the justice of the peace to be married. And so as the judge was just visiting with them, uh, he, he asked the question, have you been married before? And the, the lady said, oh, well, yes, I've been married three other times. And he said, three times? She said, yes. When I was 20, I married a banker. And then when I was 40, I married the ringmaster of a prominent circus production. And then when I turned 60, I married a preacher, and now I'm here to marry again. And he just looked at her and said, 
why did you marry those other men? Banker, ringmaster, preacher. And she said, it's real simple. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. (laughs) Put my sermon, I'm number three. Get ready. Well, anyway. What we're looking at, what we've been looking at over the last several weeks is just what we call eschatology. Eschatology, eschatology, if I can get it out, is just simply a term that means the biblical study of last things. The biblical study of last things. And I I want to overemphasize the word in that definition, biblical. Are you with me? The biblical study of last things. When we were in college, Kay worked for a film distribution place. Years before maybe some of you that uh, you remember this, back in the, in the 70s and in the 80s, there was a very popular series of Christian films And one of the films, the first film in this series, it ended up being four films in the series, was called A Thief in the Night. I don't know if some of you remember seeing that or remember that series, but these films, oh my goodness, they were just going off of the shelves all over the country to churches, and they were showing them to their churches, inviting people to, to come and watch them. And, and um, I remember watching uh, the first film, A Thief in the Night, and it was when the, the rapture happened and people were disappearing and, and everything, and there was this group of, of young people, they were really puzzled as what was happening, and so they ran down to the church. They thought maybe the church could tell them what just was going on, and they came into the church, and there was the pastor of the church. He was an unbeliever that missed being taken up. And I thought, as I was watching, that's not good. But it would be possible, I believe. And oh my goodness. Uh, Then the next film, A Distant Thunder, and there were two other films that came out uh, as well. Then, about 20 years ago, we had another series of books and and videos, and, and it was called the Left Behind series. Remember that one? That's a little bit more recent. And I guess um, you could say that people were just literally scared into heaven. Now, I would have said it another way, but I don't think my mom would appreciate that. But, if, you know, maybe they just scared out of them. But anyway, um, we need to be careful. We need to be careful when we think about these things and when we look at these things that we're seeing what the Bible teaches. Amen? 
Eschatology is taught in several books of the Bible, not just the book of Revelation. And I remember in college, I, Revelation, the book of Revelation was one of my classes that, uh, that I took and took eschatology from uh, what I considered uh, a very wise theologian. And, um, and, and I appreciated his, his teaching and, and uh, about this subject. But throughout ministry, my ministry, I've always wanted to just remind myself, whatever the teaching, whatever the doctrine that we're looking at, it's always best if we go back to the words of Jesus. I thought that would be an amen thing. Okay. <clears throat> that we would always go back and look and see what Jesus had to say about the subject. And that's why we've been in Matthew 24. This is where he takes the opportunity to share with his disciples about what is to come, what is to come in their immediate future, and what is to come as he will one day return. Matthew 24 is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture that we have in the New Testament and most difficult teachings of Jesus. But I think we have enough to understand what Jesus is talking about. And so as we look at this, I just again want to tell you and remind you that we're looking in the words of Christ and what he has for us. So stand with me as I read from Matthew chapter 24, and we look at the parable of the fig tree. Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 32. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. All right, let me just say that again. When the branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right around the corner. I tell you the truth, this generation, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come and just allow you to speak to us. So, Father, my prayer is that, Lord, open our ears, speak to our hearts, and help us to put our faith and trust completely into Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing that we see here is the lesson of the fig tree. The lesson of the fig tree. Jesus 
used parables throughout his ministry. And we have many of those recorded in the gospel. Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity where he takes something that is familiar, something that is common to the people, and he gives it a spiritual connotation, a spiritual lesson for us to gain from. The fig tree was the most prevalent tree in this part of the world. Everyone would know as soon as Jesus said, listen to the parable of the fig tree, everyone would have immediately had a context and a familiarity with what he was talking about. And he says to them that the fig tree was one who budded in the early spring, even in the late winter. And the production of the figs was a familiar symbol of peace and prosperity. It was a symbol of divine favor or blessing from God. If the fig tree would fail to produce the fruit that it was supposed to produce, it would be a national, a national calamity without the figs and the fruit of the figs. In Micah chapter 4, verse 4, in the Amplified Version, we read this verse of Scripture. Each of them shall sit in security and peace, in blessing and peace under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the omnipotent Lord of hosts has spoken. So we see the significance of the fig tree. And again, as I mentioned, the bud would appear on the branches and it would indicate that this is to be a potential fig, even before the leaves would sprout and come open and, and fig tr uh, leaves of a fig tree were large enough that you could, after it was fully um, leafed out, you would be able to uh, wonder if there were any fig figs there. It would just cover it up immensely. And so as Jesus is talking in this way, he's saying that as you see the bud, you anticipate what is about to happen. Jesus said the summer is near. Now instead of seeing something as a process, I want you to see this as something as a period of time. Something that Jesus is saying, look at the fig tree, you see the bud, it's there on the branches, and then in a short time period, you will realize and see the fruit of that tree, the figs would appear, summer would be near, would be, and it would be in, in a full display. Now, it's interesting that the fig tree, as, it, as, it, as the bud appeared in the springtime, the first harvest 
of the fig trees would happen in June. That would be the first harvest. And then subsequently, it would harvest again in August through the month of March in the next year. Now, that's very unusual to have that occur in, in any tree. But that's what was uh, how God had designed the fig tree. Again, Jesus is saying that it is not just the process, but the period of time that with the fig uh, just coming on as a bud, then the anticipation of what was expected. When I was um, with our a group of 35 seniors, we went last week, we went to the Ark, and then we went to the Creation Museum. And in the Creation Museum, there was this um, display, and it was called The Seven Seas of God's Eternal Plan. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. And when I looked at that, I saw that, yes, that is a process, but if you look over the centuries of time, you see that it is different periods that have taken place throughout the history from the very beginning, beginning with creation, and then going on to corruption. And then at the end, we have Christ and consummation. We are currently living in the period of Christ. We are awaiting the consummation that will take place when Christ returns. Are you with me? You understand that? We are in a specific period of time. And that's what Jesus is referring to as he talks about the fig tree. Know the time that you are in. See the signs of that period of time and realize what is happening. And so that brings me to my next point, signs of the times. And Jesus talks about this. In verse 34, he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Well, what he's talking about is what we've already discussed, what we've heard Pastor Bob speak about, of the things that would lead up to the desolation uh, of the temple, the destruction of the temple that we call the abomination that causes desolation. And he says, this generation, those in this period of time, will not pass until we see this desolation uh, of the temple, the destruction of the temple. Now put up the picture. I also took this picture at the Creation Museum, and it is a depiction of that period of time that happened in 70 AD when the Roman soldiers, when the Roman army came and destroyed Jerusalem. 
Actually, it started even before 70 AD. It happened, it began, the war began in 66 AD. And then right before the beginning of the year of 70 AD, the massive Roman army sieged the city and began to destroy it. It's interesting to remember here that Matthew's gospel was probably written after the destruction of Jerusalem, not before. The first gospel that was written before the destruction was the gospel of Mark in the 64 AD. The other gospels came after 70 AD. So Matthew is writing from understanding what Jesus was talking about, about this generation not passing away until the destruction of Jerusalem. But what I want to point out in this picture is that many of the Jews that Pastor Bob talked about that lost their lives suffered the horrible crucifixion much like Jesus suffered. The crucifixion was the Roman way of torture and death. And it was said that as the Jews would try to escape the city, would try to escape Jerusalem, that they would be caught and that they would be taken out of the city and they would be crucified as Jesus was crucified. There were so many, so many crucifixions that they had trouble finding enough wood to be able to build enough crosses for those crucifixions. That's devastating. That's horrific. And that's what happened and what Jesus was talking about. Now, at this point of the, of the Scripture, in this passage, Jesus kind of makes a little turn into what will occur prior to his return. And the first thing that he mentions is that it will be comparable. You can read this later on. I don't have time to, to read the scripture, but you can read it for yourself. He says that this is comparable to the flood that occurred in Noah's time the judgment that happened. The word, interesting enough, for flood in this passage is the Greek word cataclysmos. Cataclysmos. It is where we get our word in the English language, cataclysm. cataclysm. It is something that is, is horrible. It is something that is devastating. It is a catastrophe. And so Jesus said that is the same thing that will happen before he returns as well. Look for the signs. Do not be surprised. Listen, do not be surprised at what is happening in our time. Do not be surprised as we have seen it over the centuries of time at what will continue to happen and what will even increase in severity as Jesus' return draws near. Remember, in verse 8, Jesus said this, 
as he talked about these times. All this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. We are living in the last days, church. We are living in the last dispensation of time leading up to the return of Christ. I'm praying for a great revival for our country, for our nation, a turning of hearts to the Lord. But I realize that just as it happened in the first century, and you read the book of Acts, and you see that there was great persecution early in the life of the church, it will probably occur the same way, that there will be a tribulation, a persecution of Christians, not only in the future, but already that is taking place in many places, many parts of the world today. But that is exactly what it took for the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be spread throughout all the known country at that time. And so as we pray for revival, we need to prepare also for what will come to us or what will come to the church. This gives us great caution. Dr. Barry Callan, in his book, Faithful in the Meantime, he wrote this, while hope in God is a central part of the, tr of the true faith, unfortunately, the history of Christian hoping too often has been a playground of speculation and even a battleground that has divided believers. Wandering into the arenas of curiosity and even fantasy is all too easy. True biblical hope, however, is more sturdy and long-term than such human guesses about the signs of the times, and it has more immediate relevance for the church's mission, the church's mission today. And that brings me to my third point, get ready while bearing much fruit. Get ready while bearing much fruit. In verse 36, Jesus says, However, no one knows the day or hour when th these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. Listen to what N.T. Wright wrote about this. We too are called to be faithful, to hold on and not be alarmed. We should, as a church, as Christians, as believers, we should not be alarmed at the things that are happening today in our world, in our country, in our society, in our communities. We too may be called to live through troubled times. And I think that's not just a possibility, but it is inevitable. And to last out to the end, 
we too may see the destruction of cherished and beautiful symbols. Our calling then is to hold on to Jesus himself, to continue to trust him. And brothers and sisters, I know many of your faith, much of your faith is being tested. But trust him. Look to him. Depend on him. He will come and show up at the right time. Believe that the one who was vindicated by God in the first century will one day be vindicated vindicated before the whole entire world, that when he comes at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and everyone will acclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We too are called to live with the birth pangs of God's new age and to trust that in his good time, the new world will begin. It will be born. So what is Jesus saying to us? Simply be ready. Keep watching. Be faithful. Persevere. Stay true. Stand firm on the Word of God. And by the way, keep building the kingdom of God until he comes back. Remember this in verse 42. So you, Jesus says, you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Listen carefully. The words that Jesus gives us here is not what you might consider the rapture. You see in this passage of Scripture, Jesus talks about the two farmers that were out working. One was taken away and one was left. The two women were at the mill. One was taken away and one was left. Jesus is not talking about the rapture as many have interpreted it. What is it then? What is he talking about? It is a clear indication that when Jesus returns, there will be a sad separation. Did you hear me? There will be a sad separation. The scripture says that then there will be those that see Jesus return that will cry for the rocks to fall upon them. It will be a sad separation. You might ask, Pastor John, how do you know that? And I would say, great question. Glad you asked. I love to talk about it. Read chapter 25. Remember, the scriptures, as Matthew was writing this gospel, they were not written in chapter and verse like we have it today. That was... That was a few centuries later that we have the way that our Bibles read today. Matthew would have just been writing 
all of this in chapter 24 and just continuing in chapter 25. What does chapter 25 talk about? Jesus gives three parables. He gives the first parable of the ten bridesmaids. And he says this, five were ready and then five were not. The bridegroom came and he allowed the five that were ready to join him in the great celebration and the great marriage. But the five who were not ready were left out. Separation and judgment. And then in the next parable, Jesus talks to them about the three servants. And he talked about giving the talents and telling them to, the master telling them to go to use these talents. When the master returned, the first two servants brought the talents back. They had been doubled. They had worked. They had served him. And they had doubled the talents and given back. And what does Jesus said? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been given little and brought back much. But the one servant, what happened? He had buried his talent. He brought it back to give an account to the master. And the master said, what have you done? You have done nothing. He said, I knew you were a harsh taskmaster and that I would just at least need to have the talent to give back to you. And the master said, depart from me. You wasted what I gave to you. Separation and judgment. And then in the final uh, parable, Jesus tells us about the sheep and the goats. And he separated them. The sheep on, the, on one side, the goats on the other. And he, and he judged the goats. Why didn't you visit me when I was in prison? Why didn't you care for me? When you've done it to at least one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And then to the sheep, he goes to the sheep. While I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you came and, and, and was with me and you fed me. And he said this, when you did it to one of these, you have done it unto me. We're going to celebrate. We're going to gather together. It was separation and judgment. Does that make any sense? Is that clear? It wasn't a rapture. It was a separation and then a judgment. Listen to me. Any teaching that is given out of the Word of God that says you will have a second chance after Christ's return is false teaching. It's false doctrine. It's heresy. Don't believe it. That's why he says, be ready. Watch and work. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 and 46 as we close. A faithful this is even before chapter 25 now. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good 
job, there will be a reward. I want that reward, don't you? I want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of eternity. That's the reward that Jesus desires to give to each of us. Again, it's not about whether you're premillennial, whether you're amillennial, or maybe you're like me, you're panmillennial. You believe that it is all going to pan out just like God has decided it will be. The question is are you ready? Are you ready? I have to assume that in a group this size or those that are watching online, there may be some that aren't ready and they need to get ready. Let me tell you how to get ready. It just means simply that you recognize that you are separated from God. There is a separation that has taken place. You're not in close fellowship with him. You need to become a seeker, a receiver of all that God has for you. That separation is caused by sin. It's caused by living the life the way we want to live instead of giving our life completely over to God. Confess your sin to Christ. It is his blood that forgives us. Seek his forgiveness. Make that determination that you are going to turn away from the way that you've been living, the road that you've been traveling, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his word until he returns. I praise God that we have been able to baptize this month six followers of Christ. Amen. And we seek to baptize more because they've made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They desire to follow him. They follow him in baptism, and it's an indication that they want to follow him the rest of their lives as long as God allows them to live in this world. If you are ready, if you're ready, then continue working. Live to follow him and his word. Letting your life be a witness by serving, by showing others who Jesus Christ is. And listen to this, when you need to, use words. But let your life so be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ that nobody needs to wonder if you are a believer and if you are a follower. They'll know it. It'll be different as you meet them, as you run into them. They'll see that there is something different in your life. Continue. Seek to be able to do more. And then finally, work. Be faithful in the meantime by serving in and building the kingdom of God 
with your fellow brothers and sisters through his church. This is your sign. This is your sign. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. The king is coming, the king is coming. Praise God, praise God, he's coming for me. Praise God. When you see these things, lift your eyes to the eastern skies, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. Praise God. Pastor Justin.